Welcome to G220 Radio. This is episode number 496, and tonight we're going to be talking about the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith dealing with chapter 26 on the church. All right, we got a lot to get into tonight. We are going to be dealing with part one of going through this chapter of the confession because this chapter of the confession has 15 paragraphs, 15 paragraphs. So we're going to break this up into a, a part, um, whether that be two parts or three parts. We'll, we'll, we'll shoot for two parts, but we'll see where we get to tonight. And uh, should we need to come back and just do one more show, we'll do that. If, if we need to do a third, we'll do that as well. Um, but next week, we're going to have an individual on the program. We're going to be talking with him about his beliefs. He's Anglican. He's an individual that I've met out at the Illyria uh, festival that was going on. Um, I, don't know, I think it was like a third Thursday kind of festival. And he's supposed to be on next week. We're going to talk about uh, his beliefs uh, being Anglican and kind of go back and forth a little bit in a friendly, uh, brotherly kind of conversation. And uh, we'll see how that goes next week. But tonight, like I said, 1689, Mike, we are getting into chapter 26. Brother, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. <clears throat> I'm dealing with some illnesses over here. First time experience. Is it hand, foot, mouth virus? Oh, something like that. Yeah. So it's been an exciting day, to say the least. Yeah. I will say. All right. So we will definitely keep you in prayers. Listeners, keep Mike in his prayers or in your prayers as uh, he is dealing with this uh, ENT um, or whatever you call it. E E N M. I don't know. Ear, nose, mouth, foot, hands. It's hands, foot, mouth. Okay. I know I've heard it before. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, uh, but uh, I have heard of it. And so, uh, yeah, it's definitely... highly contagious. And we didn't realize it until after we were at church on Sunday. My son was mm. already feeling bad. Um, so, hopefully, no one at church <clears throat> got it. Yeah. And we're just kind of, yeah, dealing with it, trying to make him feel comfortable and get through it all. Yeah, that's the thing, like in, in this time in which we're living right now with the quote unquote pandemic. And and um, I, I don't say that quote unquote as if coronavirus is not a real thing, as if COVID-19 is not a real thing. Uh, it is. But the reality of <clears throat> the way that it has affected our society to where if you get an, a regular cold or you get something else, something like Mike has, you you. I feel like we we kind of worry a little bit more once we realize we have something because we don't want to spread something to someone else. I mean, not that we did what we wanted to do that before COVID-19, but I mean, for the most part, like somebody gets a cold or they get a, you know, a certain kind of, you know, uh, what is it, allergies or they have maybe um, uh, a sinus infection, which is not contagious to other people, mm -hmm. but you don't feel good. And, and this in this time in which we're living, it's kind of heightened when you're sick, you got a cough or something and people are a little more hesitant because they don't want to catch something that could cause, you know, maybe more damage or harm to them. 
And so uh, it's understandable, but at the same time, it, it makes it a little difficult to navigate through life with just a regular cold or a regular, uh, you know, sore throat or whatever it may be that you would normally get throughout the year. Uh, but everything's heightened now. Yeah. And I think and similar how we're approaching it is how we would have done it before a pandemic because it's highly contagious within children. So my son has it. He's three years mm -hmm. old. And because they put their hands in their mouth. Right. And that's how it's kind of spread. So, you know, keeping them home from the childcare. I'm working from home because I work with parents. Though mm. probably me contaminating them isn't that big of an issue. But it's also support, you know, that I have a, another kid we're trying to keep it from. So right. it's, you know, considering that you know, try to deal with it here. Cause we're supposed to go to some, um, someplace fun on Friday. And we're like, mm. can we go? Can we not go? What's the, if he still has like a rash, but they're kind of healing. Is that good enough? Like these questions now, cause we really don't want to miss the very exciting thing that happens on, um, the first Friday in September or the Friday after Labor Day in September. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we will keep you in prayer uh, and and uh, pray that uh, that'll be cleared up and you'll be able to go and enjoy that day uh, and uh, get back to church with no nothing being spread. So uh -huh. speaking of the church, uh, that is our topic for tonight. Uh, chapter 26 of the church in the 1689. Now, we were going through these confessions. It's very important that, that you understand um, that we believe that when you hold to a confession, it is not that the confession trumps scripture, but that the confession, I do believe, I think Mike would say the same, when you look at the Westminster, the Savoy, or the, uh, the 1689, they very much resemble what the scriptures teach. It's almost like its own little uh, systematic theology on these individual topics that we've gone through. Uh, not in great, like, I mean, if you get into a, a systematic theology, you may get into a little more detail with some more scriptures provided, but this is basically a, a mini systematic theology of this is what we believe from the scriptures. So it's not that we're just, eh, I think I want to go and talk about this from the church, or I think I want to go and, and say, this is my opinion about how the church should operate or function. No, the confession is laying it out based upon the word of God, so that we can best represent the church, visible and invisible, uh, here uh, with the confession laying it out. So, Mike, anything you would want to say before we get into paragraph one? No, I mean, we've mentioned it several times already. So, go back and listen to that episodes. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Let's share this screen here, and you can get a look at that. If you are watching with us, if you're listening via podcast, you can go check it out on YouTube or on our Facebook page and watch the video where you can actually see uh, the 1689 up on the screen and see the references for the scriptures as well. Uh, these are proof texts, as again, when, when the 1689 and the other uh, Confession of Faiths are laying out proof text, it's not that we're saying the proof text is used out of context. That's how the proof texts are being used here in the context of the scripture as a whole. Uh, I just wanted to point that out once again as well. So as we get in here, uh, when it says, and this is a big word that's probably going to trigger some people, especially if you are an independent fundamentalist Baptist, 
as soon as you see that word Catholic, you might want to um, run. But I, I would encourage you stick around because it's important because you're part of the Catholic faith as well. Uh, let's talk about that. So uh, paragraph number one in the 1689 chapter 26, the Catholic or universal church, which with respect to the internal work of the spirit and truth of, of grace may be called invisible, consists of a whole the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And then it gives you some proof texts here, uh, Hebrews 12, Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, uh, and Ephesians 5. But the Catholic Church, or universal church, you know, I was a part of a church that um, in the Nicene Creed, they changed Catholic to universal. Uh, and I understand you're, it's means the same thing here. They're saying the Catholic or universal. Um, but I don't think we should be afraid of the word Catholic. Don't let the Roman Catholics take it from you. Right? There's a difference between Rome and being part of the universal body, that Catholic church, small c. Yeah. And we talked about when we did the Nicene Creed, why I think we mm -hmm. should say Catholic church mm -hmm. and that it's not just as the creed says that it, it consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, so before us, before them in their time, are our present age in which we are in and shall be gathered. The ones that will come after us whom will hear and believe by the Spirit. We sh Yeah, we shouldn't be afraid to use Catholic. And when we really understand how the Catholic the Roman Catholic church started was there was one, there was in a sense, one church. Yeah. The Bishop of Rome was ahead of them all. And so we, that's how they get their name. That's why they've commandeered Catholic. If we want mm -hmm. to put it that way, maybe not historically accurate. Sounds good. But, um, yeah, I think there is this, we shouldn't be afraid of Catholic in understanding that Catholic is of all time in all places. And it's really the only English word that kind of encapsulates all of that. Universal doesn't kind of have the timeless aspect when we think about it. Obviously, they're using them here synonymously, and we should consider that that you can use either or but i do think you know yeah when you use catholic just as like we can use the holy spirit the pentecostals don't have a hold on it right and we should rightly define it but shouldn't be afraid of it right and and this is the great thing about being part of the catholic small c church this universal body uh, as it says here in the confession with respect to the internal work of the spirit uh, and truth of grace. So the spirit working within this body, there is no one that is a part of the Catholic church, the universal church, this invisible church that is not a believer. That everyone that makes up this body 
is a believer. Now we'll see when we get into the visible church that there are within the visible church those who may be unregenerate, those who profess to be a Christian without having genuine or true uh, profession of it or a possession of it, possession of the Spirit. But everyone within the universal church is a believer. This is the invisible church made up of all the saints throughout all the time, which connects us together with the prophets of old, with those in the first century, the apostles, with our early church fathers, with all of the saints that are in the body of Christ right now today, and all the saints who will be called and gathered into this body in the future. We're all in one body. Yeah, and we see at the end of it to to think about the imagery that the Bible uses to connect us as one to Christ as the head. You know, he's used as the head. He talks about the bridegroom. We're called the bride of Christ. You know, in the Philippians, where they're getting, there's the body that we're one body with Christ as the head, the one who rules over, and we're the fullness of him. You think about Paul on the road to Damascus. And what does Jesus say Paul is doing? Or, you know, can't even think of his other name at this time. Saul. What, Saul. What is what is he doing? Well, Christ says he's persecuting him, not the church, which is what he's doing. He has letters to go and grab the people who claim Jesus is the Messiah to arrest him and to execute him. We've already seen him approvingly execute. Man, I'm just not having good reference. Um, the deacon um, in the chapter before, two chapters before. Chapter seven. Stephen. Stephen. And I think so we can consider that that we are under Christ. That we as believers, both in the Old Testament as they looked forward to the future, and now us post-cross, we look forward and we're part of him. And we can rejoice even in hearing what God has done throughout history. Just yeah. as those who will come after us, rejoice in what God has done, and we can know what God will do and understanding kind of his plan and to put those together and to think about them as what does it mean to be part of the church. And this plays out how we think about the local church, as we'll get to later on. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very very important. Let's just look at a few of these uh, um, proof texts here. I gotta click on it over here. So you've got uh, he Hebrews twelve twenty three to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. But listen to that. 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. These are those who are, are this, is, this is just, it's laying it out for us here. All of those who belong to this assembly that are of this, this church of the firstborn, being Christ, those who belong to Christ, as Mike was saying, he is the head and, and we are his body. Um, and Hebrews here is, is laying this out for us here. We got uh, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church. I don't know why I'm reading over there. It's right in front of me too. Uh, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Ephesians 1.10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on her, her earth in him. Uh, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Uh, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any, any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And verse 32, uh, the mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So again, this is encompassing all saints from past, present, and future being part of this assembled body, this gathering uh, of, of uh, believers. All right, so moving on to paragraph number two here, we've got all persons throughout the world professing the faith of the gospel and obedience unto God by Christ according unto it, not destroying their own profession by any errors, averting the foundation or unholiness of uh, conversation, are and may be called visible saints. And of such ought all particular congregations to be uh, constituted. So think about this. Now we're, we're talking about the visible church now. All right, so all those that are a part of the invisible church are believers. There is none that are that are unbelievers in the invisible church. They're all believers. Now, when you get to the local church, there are going to be some who are gathered together, making a profession, but not having it. And the confession is laying out here that, that all persons throughout the world professing the faith of the gospel and obedience unto God by Christ, according to, unto it, not destroying. So not these aren't those that are destroying that or in errors or unholiness of their conversion um, or conversation uh, are and may be called. These are and they may be called the visible saints. This is the local congregation. And for those who are saying, you know, like, well, the confession doesn't necessarily speak about local uh, different congregations. It says here. And of such ought all particular congregations, meaning there's this understanding that there is more than one church. There is local congregants to be con constituted. Okay. You're on mute, Mike. To note the move, as you're mentioning what are those who kind of consent of the whole number? Like, who are those, I guess it'd be more 
with the respect to the eternal work of the spirit and the truth of grace. What are those are? And you kind of see too um, what they are and what they aren't. So it's all people throughout the world. So kind of giving, again, that universal aspect, that Catholic aspect, reaffirming that. And they're doing two things. They're professing the faith of the gospel and they're having obedience unto God. Well, then, so those are the people are that are of the number of the elect. They have profession of faith obedience under God. And so the people that are not in the elect that we can see, what are they doing? Well, they're destroying their own profession by heirs, destroying the foundation. So they're believing something other than the gospel. And they walk unholy. Their actions are unholy here in conversation. What comes out of the mouth reflects the heart. The idea that Jesus talks about what makes us unclean. It's not the food we eat, but the words we speak. It's how we act. I think this is important for us to make these distinctions, especially in light of kind of evangelical as a whole today. I mean, Ricky, you've heard it. Church is full of hypocrites. Right. They say one thing, they do another. Saw a comic today. Pro-life people want to save the baby in the womb, but when the baby is born, they don't want to help the mother. They're kind of this hypocrite. They're not really pro-life. What we should see and what the Bible says is that... We just can't have a profession. We have to have obedience. But wrong obedience or wrong orthopraxy, the, the, the working out of our faith, what we believe, if we are working out a ungodly work, that's what we're doing, they're not really Christians. And, you know, I've answered this to people on the street when they talk about, well, people don't follow. Making the distinctions of what, what are Christians and what are not. You know, to say, like, well, are they Christian according to the Bible? Like, what does the Bible say about them? And does their life reflect it? Don't make judgment based on what you think a Christian should look like. What does the Bible say? Because that's what should define a Christian. And this is what the creed is, is going for. We profess the faith of the gospel and obedience unto Christ. We're doing what he's commanded. And those distinctions are somewhat lost within the broader culture. This, what is a Christian, what is not. And... You know, that's why we can look at liberals and say, well, they're not holding on to the gospel. That's why they're wrong. That's why the Mormons are wrong. They may be nice people. They may be doing what appears to be obedient unto God. I think there's more than just the, phys the actions that we do. 
but they don't profess the same faith. That's why they're not Christians. So Jehovah Witnesses aren't Christians. They don't profess the same faith, even though they may be what we could consider good people, that they're helping people to become better in, in a worldly sense. I think mean, those distinctions are very clear. And, and even in 1689, or the late 1670s, when they're writing this, they're seeing those clear distinctions even then. That you must have not only the right doctrine, the right message, but your actions should be in accordance with it. And if they're not, if you don't have the right doctrine that are foundational to the truth, you know, it's not like if you have the wrong millennial view, that's not what they're here. That's foundational to the gospel. Then you're not a Christian and you shouldn't be. Consider it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then when that happens, when we get into paragraph three here, it's explaining, you know, those who are considered and called visible saints are those who are taking this profession of faith of the gospel and there's obedience unto God. There's, as Mike was saying, you know, this is without errors averting the foundation of that faith or unholiness in conversation and, and in your living. But we're, we know that within, as we've already mentioned, the universal church, everyone's a believer. That's part of it. The local church, the visible church, you're going to have a mixture. You're going to have people that profess it, but aren't. And it even says here in paragraph three, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error, okay? And some have so denigrated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, Christ always hath had and ever shall have a kingdom in this world to the end thereof, of such as believe in him and make profession of his name. There's always going to be a remnant even when some of these churches are no longer churches of Christ. These lampstands have been removed, and they are now synagogues of Satan, professing to be of Christ. But And we see this. Do we not? Do we not see it in our society? The United Methodist Church, the PCUSA, uh, so many others. And, and I know some people would throw the, the Southern Baptist in there, but I think as we continue to go, you'll see the distinction that uh, when it comes to church ecclesiology, uh, Baptists aren't don't have a head that kind of leads it out and uh, dictates the direction in which that denomination is going to go. They may come forth and say certain things that they would want to try to push forth in the, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and I know we've done a show on this and we could probably even do more to help people understand. But every Baptist church, every Baptist church is autonomous. Whether you're Southern Baptist, independent Baptist, Baptist churches are autonomous. You know, that doesn't, ex that doesn't, um, what's the right word? Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't some Baptist churches that are unbiblical churches as well, because there are. But as a whole, as a, as a, as a um, denomination, it's not because of the ecclesiology led from the top down. It's from the, the church within it that begins to compromise and allow these things to happen. And so it says here, the purest churches under heaven are subject to this mixture and error. Uh, and some have so denigrated as to become no churches of Christ. And like I said, we see it in our society today. Connect 
um, paragraph two, paragraph three, like, so there's particular Congress, particular congregations to be constituted with these people who have the right profession, profession and the right um, practice, their obedience. But even those churches mm -hmm. yes, yeah, subject to mixture and error. I mean, there was a time in which the Presbyterian church was not errant. I think of the um, Princeton Divines, um, A. Alexander, J. Gresham Matcham as the latest, um, B.B. Warfield. You have great men of God at the top levels kind of of Presbyterian. And 150 years later, you know, you have the PCUSA affirming false doctrines. And I think that should be a reminder of us that in the confession, does it? The purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. There's, there's no perfect church. Right. And that's should give us this kind of duty in one sense. I think with Baptist ecclesiology, this is easier of who leads our churches. Because if every church under heaven are subject to mixture and error, and that some can denigrate down to not become churches of Christ. I mean, look at the Roman Catholic church as a penultimate example. Once thriving in in their history in the three four hundreds and standing for doctrinal purity by the end of the middle ages there are pelagians in everything but the name mm. people who believe in the gospel are getting hunted down by the spanish inquisition there are people in the mountains in the alps hiding away from the Catholic from the Catholic Church and the countries that it controls so that they can worship God. This isn't the blood of tears from the independent fundamentals trying to show it. These are people who are persecuted, who lived outside of the Roman Catholic Church. And then we see God Bring a reformation, bring a revival in 1517. That has been kind of growing beforehand. John Hus and Tyndale. We can we can look at history and see the rise and fall of denominations. And when we look at them biblically, we see that. They're subject to mixture and error, but they didn't protect what was precious. And even when they didn't protect what was precious, God did. Just like God protected Israel during the first part of the book of Samuel.
When there's no kings, there's no there's no king in Israel. They're judges, they're doing whatever is right. You have these priests who are selfish and taking the good stuff for themselves and not honoring God with the sacrifices, and yet God protects them nonetheless. God does the same thing. He protects his church. He protects his people. And we can see this play out. This is not just words here. This is what God has been doing from Genesis 3. Yeah. And then getting in here to verse or paragraph 4, much of Mike was already kind of getting into it. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in whom, by the appointment of the Father, all power for the calling, institution, order, or government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist. Now, if it stopped right here, I think a lot of... Because see... This is one of those areas within the confession that you can be a 1689 confessional uh, reformed Baptist. And right there, you'd say, yeah, I agree. And then eschatology wise, some people are going to have some disagreements on this. And you could still say you're, you're holding to the confession. This is one of those areas where there can be some disagreements while still yet holding to the confession. Because it doesn't stop right there. It equates, and I would agree, the Pope is an Antichrist. As the Scripture lays out, Antichrist, we've gone through First John series. Uh, there are many Antichrists in the world. I would say the, the Pope definitely is an Antichrist, sets himself up as the Vicar of Christ on earth. Um, but it doesn't stop there. It says he's that man of sin and the son of perdition that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So, and I say that because there are some Reformed Baptists that would say, yes, the Pope is the Antichrist, that man of lawlessness, the one that's that's going to be the, the final Antichrist coming, uh, even though Revelation doesn't mention the word Antichrist. But it says that this is, some Reformed Baptists will hold to that, but then there's others who take a different, maybe, understanding and would say, yes, he is an Antichrist, but he's not this one that's being set up that's, going to come in the end. And then again, eschatology can get into a lot of this, which is not the, the the focus of this. I just wanted to point out that there is some differences within those who hold to the 1689 on this right here. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously, like if you were to write a modern Baptist um, confession, something in similar to 1689, most likely you're not going to probably start talking about the Pope of Rome. You may mention it, but you're not going to kind of dive into what it is. I think um, because really the Pope doesn't have the control it once had. Yes, he's still the head of um, the Roman Catholic Church, the president of um, whatever country he's president of king of i guess he's a king not a president um the vatican and but to understand the situation they're in you're still in a very 
volatile situation between England and the Anglicans and the Puritans. The Baptists are now getting involved and the Congregationalists. Europe is still dealing with the fallout of the Reformation. And countries trying to help promote the Catholic idea as the Pope tries to maintain control of the situation. And they're having their own issues, you know, just before the Reformation with having three separate popes in three different areas and who's the right pope. And it should cause us to stop and to think, what are they trying to say? And we would agree the pope as a position, whoever is in that position, whether it's Pope Benedict or Pope John Paul II or Pope Francis, they have set themselves up as one who opposes the gospel. They, in a sense, kind of represent the Pharisees in Jesus' time. And what the confession clearly states is, look, there's only one head of the church and he's the one who controls how the church operates it's jesus it's not some man who has a seat in which when he sits on it can speak fallible infallibly no we already have an infallible head who has given us what we need to worship now they'll talk about it later. Again, that's important to understand. The we're Protestants because we think God has spoken on what the church should be like, and yeah. some person <clears throat> who has exalted himself—that's what happened. That's how Rome became the head of the church was a self-exalting were Rome. And the only reason why Rome really won is because the other two were destroyed by Muslim conquerors. That would have been Alexandria and Egypt and Antioch. Um, there in the um, Middle East. They're, they were all vying for who is supreme in this. Just one lasted longer than the other two. And then they set themselves up as the power. And we know they were corrupt. They were unbelieving popes who were there just for the power. And so when they're writing this, that history is fresh to them couple hundred years old it's not like four or five hundred now and so we should really grasp kind of that importance of that separation the pope are like the people who killed and stoned 
the owner's servants and then set up to kill the son to put them that they may take over and God will judge him for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So moving on to uh, paragraph five here uh, in the execution of this power where wherewith he is so entrusted the Lord Jesus is, the Lord Jesus calleth out of the world unto himself through the ministry of his word by his spirit, those that are given unto him by his father, that they may walk before him in all the ways of obedience, which he prescribeth to them in his word. Those thus called, he commanded to walk together in a particular societies or churches for their mutual edification and the due performance of that public worship, which he requireth of them in the world. Now, I, I think sometimes if, if we, this is why I said in the beginning why I believe confessions and throughout this series that we've been doing on the 1689, why I believe confessions are important. Because a lot of times people will say, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian or, or I'm a Reformed Baptist or I'm, you know, Reformed in my soteriology, understanding of things, um, but think they don't need to belong to a church, right? But Christ, who is the head of this church, calling people out of the world unto himself. If people just read the confession, they would say, okay, maybe these Christians don't believe what I think they believe. They actually believe what the scriptures are saying. I don't think, uh, as I'm saying that, um, I understand there are people that do not, that they have their own ideas of what Christians believe apart from the scriptures. And, and people love to throw that out there and say, well, you Christians, you believe this, you believe that. Um, but how often do we hear, well, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, we're outside. You can be outside. Like the church is not the four walls of the building. It's not a building. Um, it's it's kind of a a silly argumentation that's used because the Bible clearly tells us that we're not to forsake the gathering together. So you assemble somewhere, and most likely you're assembling in a building somewhere doesn't make the building holy, but the gathering coming together and assembling together uh, is vital to the life of a believer. And it's commanded by God. And the, the confession here is laying that out, that it's through, when they're called out into this world, those that are given to him by the Father, it's through the ministry of his word and by his spirit. So people aren't just coming to Christ because they're, you know, it just kind of having a dream uh, or they're just, you know, um, having a good feeling things are going right in their life. So they, you know, they, they feel like they've cheated death. You know, I've had people tell me that on the streets, you know, like God is, God has got control of me. He's taking care of me because, you know, I should have been dead this many times. These things happen. No, you're called out through the ministry of his word, the preaching of the gospel and by the spirit of God. That's how one is called. That's how one is that is given to him by the Father comes to faith. And then he commands us to walk together in our societies or these churches that we are gathered together with or that we assemble with. And it's also the Spirit, I would say, because it is the it is God who builds his churches and, and brings forth the members as he sees fit that leads people into these places where they congregate. Um, but it is for their mutual edification. It's for, for our own edification. 
uh, and and the due performance of that public worship, and it is required of them. So we're required to do these things. Uh, and I know you think about it when you look at um, Matthew 28 here, verse 20. Oh, yeah, I'm over here. It says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Christ is giving this instruction to the apostles that are on this mount with him at, before he ascends into heaven. And they are the foundation of the church with Christ being the chief cornerstone, right? And so he's giving it to the church to say, look, you're going to, you're going to, as leaders, you're going to lead people. You're going to disciple them. You're going to teach them all that I have commanded you. And he's going to be with him to the end of the age. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we need to take into consideration because a lot of people, and, and I know Mike, you're you're with me on this. A lot of people think that anybody can just administer communion. Anybody can just do baptisms. I don't believe so. I believe that God has instituted the local church, the church, and then these local assemblies that gather together, and He's instituted pastors, teachers, evangelists, people to come along alongside to edify the church and to build it up. And He puts these people into those positions. Yeah. Um, I mean, to think about how this is structured, God, God calls us out by the ministry of the word, by the spirit. And then he brings us together hmm. to walk together in our churches for mutual edification. No, they don't have it listed here, but let's consider Hebrews 10. Starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, we have, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way that has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So we've been saved. We have this high priest. He comes in. Verse 21, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from all from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some is the habit of, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near you have these hebrew believers or these believers probably jewish they know the law what is the water writer of hebrews trying to convey look we have this high priest we need to have our own assurance and have our own kind of faith and hope but we also stir each other up into love and good deeds. The mutual edification. There is no Christian that isn't really part of a church. They can't grow. They can't even obey that command to stir one another up because they're not part of a church. And not only that, we see in Acts them coming together and gathering churches where they hear the preaching of the word. The apostles set 
create deacons so that they can focus on the word and prayer for the people. God has given us a society so that we can grow in our obedience to him. To grow to have the ministry of the word to continue to work on our hearts. I mean consider and do Consider what kind of the Baptist catechism says about um, how the word. Um, okay, so how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? Um, the answer is. That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto the diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, and lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. And he goes on. Can't. I don't remember he said it. There's a point in which they talk about that the word especially the preached word mm. yeah here it is how is the word made effectual to salvation question 94 the spirit of god maketh the reading but especially the preaching of the word the effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation so in the catechism, as they're trying to teach the importance of the word, they bring about that it's especially the preaching of the word. It's the coming in and hearing the word preach together as a means of convincing and converting sinners, which I think sometimes people um, maybe hear the phrase that the church is for believers, and it is. You see this, but that God uses that preaching. If it's gospel centered preaching, it's preaching that brings about showing us our sinfulness, showing our needs of Christ and how we are then to take this information and live out in our daily lives. He uses that to save sinners, but he also builds them up in holiness and comforts them through faith unto salvation. I mean, if you want to know what's a good church, does your church preach in that way? Because that's how we grow. That's how God has ordained the ministry of the word, the word to work. We see it in Acts when they're preaching. They're coming together. They're meeting in groups. This kind of individual Christian idea is brought about through the individualistic thinking we have. Consider the Scipion quote. No one who has no one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. That's gonna get pushed back. Oh yeah. <clears throat> there is this idea that the to have the father, we have to be together. Um he's not making the church co equal to God, but it's that Right. You know, the idea of unity. Mm -hmm. We come together as one. 
and we do that through the preach word and that happens through the mutual edification of it of each yeah. other and that's what what really paragraph six and, and seven is getting to as well uh, and it says here in paragraph six the members of these churches are saints by calling uh, we've kind of already established that and the confession is just reiterating that, that they're saints by calling they've been called visibly mm -hmm. manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walking their obedience unto that call of Christ. We've already been talking about the fact that you can say you're a Christian, but if you're genuinely saved, there's going to be evidence. It's going to be manifested and, and you're going to be walking in obedience unto the call of Christ, unto your call. You're going to make that calling and profession profession sure uh, that it's, that it's genuine and do willingly consist to walk together to walk together, as Mike's laying this out, to walk together, not individually, but to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and to one and one to another. This is why, um, let me just finish it, uh, by the will of God in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. This is why the church, again, we're all given spiritual gifts. We're all given these gifts to for the edification of the rest of the bodies, for the others, that mutual... Um, uh, as it said up here in in verse, uh, yeah, mutual edification, as it says in paragraph five, and so the 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 marks of a genuine church. What does a genuine church consist of? There's a few things. Mike was laying them out here, and it says in Acts two forty one, uh, three thousand souls were added to the church, and what did they do? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to doctrine. <laughs> You can't have understanding without doctrine. And so the church is teaching doctrine. They're teaching the word of God. They're preaching the word of God. And to the fellowship, the gathering together, the assembling together, the coming together to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were partaking of these things. And we're even going to see more as we get into the, the ordinances that are given to the church. And as we go into uh, paragraph seven here, because all these kind of play into, and we've already really been kind of talking about these things. Uh, it says in paragraph seven, to each of these churches thus gathered, according to his mind declared in his word, he hath given all that power and authority. As Christ said when on the Mount of Trans or Mount when before he went and ascended, the 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 great commission that's given out, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And he's with us unto the end. It says uh, which is in any way needful for their carrying in that order in worship and discipline. Discipline. You want to know what the marks of a church are? As Mike said, they're going to preach the word, right? They're going to partake of the, or of, of the ordinances, the sacraments. For us Baptists, we're talking about, uh, which I think is the only, biblically, uh, the only sacraments is the Lord's table and baptism. So you want to know where the marks of a genuine church is? The preaching of the word of God, the sacraments, the breaking of bread, or, or the, the taking of the Lord's table and, and baptism, and church discipline. Church discipline. If the church is not practicing discipline, it's not constituting a biblical church. Um, not, and I'm not saying that as if you know, you're looking to discipline everyone. Uh, out of love, it, it may take time. Your, 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 your goal in church discipline is the restoration of a brother, not because you want to put people out. So that may take time. 
you're working with them. You're working through issues. You're this is coming together and working with one another in love, in grace, because you care for the body. It says, which he hath instituted for them to observe with commands and rules for the due and right exerting uh, and executing of that power. The church has the power to do that. We see it in Matthew 18 when it deals with these, these uh, in instances of church discipline. And we see it in Corinthians when Paul tells them, to put this person out from among you, mm -hmm. right? So those things take place within the body of the, the, the church, the local church gathered together. And how is one... Number eight, we're going to get into offices uh, that are appointed in, in paragraph eight. But how is a elder within a church or the church body able to put someone out if you're not really coming and committed to that local church? Because what we see it in today, look, I get it. Sometimes there's there's reasons why. I mean, we had a, a situation, you know, recently uh, within the last uh, year or so that we had an is issue with a church that we were attending. Um and I understand that there are times where you have to make those decisions to go somewhere else or things happen within a church. But that's not the norm. That's not the way it should be. When things arise, you shouldn't just be able to, ah, I don't like it here anymore. I don't like the pushback I'm getting for because I'm living in sin. I'm just going to pick up and move to the church down the street or I'm going to move to that other church now because I'm, that's not the that's not what's what's here. What what What, what we're seeing here is, when you come together and you are committed to that church, to that body, you work through those things with one another, you know? Um, and then if there's not, then that church discipline comes to its, its, its fulfillment and that person is removed from it. Not so they can go and jump down to another church, but so that it can be dealt with for their soul. It's for their soul. Right. Oh, getting a little yeah. excited. Yeah, oh. And to go back to, um, paragraph six, you kind of skipped over a little bit. Um, but I think it's important, especially in light of Roman Catholic theology, members of the churches are saints by calling. Mm, yeah. In the Roman Catholic church, you have to become a saint. You have to have some miracles that are testified and in general live live what we would call a godly life. Um, we sh should note that the members of these churches, that are the ones who are being ministered through the word, they believe in the gospel. They're following the commandments of God by the power of the spirit. These members are saints by calling. You know, they don't, the, the sainthood of every believer, that was a big doctrine that came out of the Reformation. That you don't have to obtain a certain status to get out of purgatory and have enough merit to go to heaven. And while, you know, it's just kind of common language today, I think that's it. It's important for us to think about that in light of their situation. And now we know it. Um, you see Romans 1 7, 1 Corinthians 1 2. Paul repeatedly calls the people in his churches the saints, to the saints of mm -hmm. Corinth. That is important for us to think about that we're saints now. 
we don't have to do anything. If we believe in the gospel and out of the gospel, we are performing the works in obedience to the word. We're saints. And we're holy ones. We have been set apart. And those are truths that will help us when it gets hard. Those are the types of truths that helps us to see God's goodness, see God's holiness, and provide us the strength to persevere. Because we're saints with God. We've been cleansed by the blood. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot there. I mean, there's even so much more we could have jumped in and mm -hmm. and pulled out of these paragraphs. We're trying to give a more of a, a general overview of these, but I mean, there's a lot there. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna end right here in paragraph seven, and we'll come back um, not next week, but the week following, um, Lord willing. And uh, we'll come back to uh, paragraph eight and do a part two on this. See if we can get through this with with two parts. Um, but there's so much here, and and this is it, it, it's passionate, and I get fired up for this because I run into so many people on the streets when I'm evangelizing that profess to be Christians, and their excuses of not wanting to go to church is because you don't need to belong to a church to be a believer. You don't you don't need to be a member of a church. Where in the Bible does it say you got to have a church membership? And and a lot of these arguments or or people saying, you know, we are the church. You know, I'm I'm the church myself rather than understanding that the church is only when gathered together the the assembling together of the body. That's the church. Now it's local and there's local churches all over the place. But it's the coming together. It's not two or three people getting together at Starbucks or uh, uh, what's the other Dunkin' Donuts or uh, going out to eat somewhere and, and sitting together and talking about the word of God. That's great if you're doing that. If you have brothers and sisters, a few people you can get together and drink some coffee and talk about the, the Lord and the word of God. That's awesome. That's not the church, though. Let's not get it confused. This is why it's so important. And we're so passionate about these things, because. People don't realize they attack the church. They attack the bride of Christ when they say these things, when they make these kind of statements against the church and, and, and the ordinances that God has given forth, the, the ministers that God has given to the church, the gifts that he's given to the church, they, they are attacking it and they may not realize it. And so it may be in ignorance. So if it is, I mean, let's rightly understand the beauty of Christ and his, and his bride. Right. And, and let's try to rightly understand that so that we're not attacking it, but that we're leading people. With, even when you see the hypocrites, even when you see that the, the confession tells us there's going to be error mixed within it. You're going to have people that do hypocritical things. Even the, the, the most um, the, the most godly people within your congregation at times are going to be hypocritical. It's just because we have this this flesh that remains that we still fight with. We still are at war with. And you have to be willing to be gracious and to work with one another and to love one another and to not let that have you despising the bride of Christ because of some hypocritical thing that someone else within the body does. Yeah, I think it's important too that, as we saw, God's given us to church for our own edification, 
why would you spurn God's blessing on your life? There are bad churches. I get that. And if you're in a bad church, find a new church. I mean, it's plain and simple. But we have to remember that God has given us the church for our edification. It's a blessing from God to be a member of a church. And to say you don't need to have this blessing in your life. Well, I mean, think about what Adam would say. It was like, I don't really need Isaac. You know, this or name the blessing. I don't really need all this money God has given me. I mean, truly you don't. But like just kind of this scornful attitude. You wouldn't do that. That's what God has given us in the church. And God has endowed the church with the keys to heaven. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Yeah. Why 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 neglect what God has given to you? A grace of God to you. Where you can come together with fellow believers and learn more about the God who saved you. Yes, you can read your Bible by yourself. Yes, you can read the commentaries. But to do life with other believers and have them pray for you. Why would you why would you give that up and just scorn it? This blessing from God. That's the real question. If you want to be one who says, we don't need to go to the church. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, the 1689 chapter 26, part one, dealing with the church. Uh, like I said, I know we get passionate about it, but it just, I mean, we've seen so many interactions with, or had so many interactions with people who, uh, as Mike said, spurn, spurn the church. And so, we, we, we want to encourage you um, to get involved. Be a member of a church. Love your brothers and sisters. Serve them. Seek to build them. If, if you're someone more knowledgeable in the scriptures, use that knowledge that you have to help other believers grow. Um, if you're good at serving and you, you're good at hospitality, use that to fellowship with the brothers and sisters and just do life together. Uh, it's not always easy. We get it. You know, it's a busy time in which we live. You know, people are dealing with sicknesses out there. Mike was talking about it in the beginning of the show how, you know, um, they're experiencing something this week. So things happen. We get that. But utilize the gifts that God has given you, the, 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 the things that God has given you to do life together with the members of your local church. And if you're not a member, why not go and join a local church, a good biblical church, and become a member and utilize the, your gifts for the edification of those others. That's been G20 Radio. For, go ahead, Mike. Where can someone find Good Church, Ricky? Well, we have uh, on our website, they can go to, uh, there's a church finder thing there where you can either click on there and it'll take you to a few different options that you can go to. Uh, I think Nine Marks is on there. Um, I think with uh, the Master Seminary, uh, Grace to You has a, a church finder. Uh, Arbka has a church finder where you can go there and, and look for a good Reformed Baptist church. Uh, and there may be a few more. You can go to Founders. I think Founders has one as well. Yep. Um, and if, if SBC, you could probably look at that and find a Southern Baptist church. Uh, now, I would encourage you uh, to, 
again, I love my brothers and sisters who are not reformed, but I would encourage you to, to uh, if, if it's possible for you in the area which you are, to get into a good reformed church. Uh, because I do believe that that is the closest to the Word of God, understanding the Word of God and theology from 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 God's Word uh, that you're going to get in, in a more Reformed church. What about you, Mike? Anything else? I, mean, I was just, just trying to throw a plug out for the website. Yeah. Yeah, go to www.g220ministries.com. You'll find it there. Uh, speaking of which, go ahead and like, share, um, let others know about it. You can support us if you would like to. Just go to g220ministries.com. Go down to the bottom of, of the front page. It's still under construction. There's still work that needs to be done uh, to kind of, you know, get that website looking uh, better um, than, than, than it is right now. I'm not 100% satisfied with it. We're still trying to work through it. Um, but um, you can go down and you can support us by either buy me a coffee. Uh, you can go in there and support us that way. You can go to PayPal. Uh, or um, Cash App, and you can you can support us there. And th those links are right there. All you gotta do is click on it, and you can do that. Or you can go to Bonfire and purchase a a shirt to wear, um, Christian T-shirt to wear. That um, some of that proceeds come back to G220 Ministries, and so you can do that as well. And so if you'd like to support us in those ways, you can do that. Uh, if you have not, like I said. Subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on, uh, go like our Facebook page, do so. Uh, and you can also, if you prefer to not look at us, but actually just listen to the podcast, you can do so by going to Podbean uh, or finding it on any podcast catcher that uh, you you utilize. Uh, so we appreciate your support. Email us at g220radio at gmail.com. If you've got any questions, concerns, comments that you would like to share with us or show ideas, show suggestions. I mean, we've had... Just recently, um, I didn't come to G220 Radio's email, but uh, came to G220 Ministries, had a Hebrew Israelite sending a message trying to get on and debate us. So uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. If if he can be cordial and you know uh, gracious in conversation, we may bring him on and have a discussion with him. But uh, if not, then I'm not going to do it. Uh, we only have an hour program here, and we're not going to go longer than that. Uh, in a conversation we can go longer because we own it but it's not going to go longer in the sense of where it's just going to be an arguing back and forth kind of kind of deal so not going to do that but yeah go to www.g220ministries.com email us at g220radio at gmail.com if you've got any questions comments or concerns that's been g220 radio for tonight until next time god bless <laughs>